Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the podcast where we talk about how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm so I'm recording from a different location this time. Yes. Which is strange. I've got a makeshift office here that's set up a little differently. So I'm trying to just a closet. Get used to that. Somewhere. Uh, plus, being back in Texas, my allergies always go crazy. So I was having a conversation with somebody That's about fun. that because they they live in Oklahoma, but they have to travel to Texas to work like every two weeks. So they get the allergies, um, adjust, and then come back to Oklahoma. New allergies, adjust, repeat for the entire year. <laughs> well, th- the crazy thing about that is, I mean. I was born and raised here in East Texas, and I've always had bad allergies, but um, I'm was semi-used to them here. Sure. Right? Sure. But I'm when I moved to Oklahoma, they went crazy. Right. I was right. in Oklahoma for two and a half years, and but still, when I would come back just for like a week for like the holidays or something like that, I would get sick here. And then I'd go back to Oklahoma and get sick again. Yeah. And it's like, does I does my body not, can it not get used to, I mean, it just goes away in like a week. I don't understand. Maybe if we have a doctor listening, they can send us a message and explain how that it's works. But I feel like. Have you checked for that? Uh, it probably is. <laughs> Dude, daily, my daily uh, allergy nasal spray stuff changed my life this year. I've had some I've had some not perfect days, but I haven't really been knocked out by allergies at all this year. So I'm just saying. If you don't readjust I, to Texas. I do I take nasal spray and an allergy pill every day. Okay, never mind because then. you're a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well my problem was autoimmune condition oh, on right, immunosuppressants. Right, right. Every time I, I'd get allergies it would turn into a sinus infection. Which is why my doctor's like, you need to... So I take medicine to keep it from being an infection and having to go to the doctor and and get an antibiotic. But because of all that, it's not quite strong enough to keep me from having allergies. But it keeps me from getting real sick with the allergies, which is something. Yeah, I I don't even know why you're complaining. So now you just say, well, it could be worse. (laughs) Could be a sinus infection. (laughs) Literally every time that you ever have a... A sneeze. Man, that sucks. There's a, <laughs> maybe there's some application to suffering in the early church and some well, it could be worse. And there we go. We did we did one on uh we did one on uh Holocaust episode. We can do another one on uh Spencer's allergies <laughs> and suffering. Uh I don't know if I'm being mean or if I'm let's I'm sorry if I'm making fun of you. Let's move on. Here we go. Uh, we are building off of, surprise, surprise, a foundation, a couple foundations that we've set. The last two episodes have been all about inspiration and uh, kind of understanding how that works and what Spencer and I's, uh, we, we do agree on this point. I think mostly we probably have some slight uh, deviations as far as inspiration is concerned. Uh, but our general thinking is it's not every single word uh, that is inspired. And we'll talk, I mean, you'll see why as we move forward in episodes. But that the concepts were communicated by God, they then use their personality and things to communicate that to us. And that that's what inspiration uh, ultimately is. Uh, is that right, Spencer? Should I add any more to? Uh, to that definition there. Sounds good to me. Uh, So we we set that up over the last couple episodes, and now we're moving into the Gospels for, surprise, a couple episodes. (laughs) Uh, It's going to take a couple to break these things down. Uh, And we're doing all of that so that we can move into uh, what will function as sort of case studies, looking at the resurrection narratives within the Gospels and how we see inspiration play out there. Because not every resurrection narrative is built the same. Uh, And so we'll note 
okay, why are there these differences and what does all that mean and how does all that play into it? So we're looking at inspiration by focusing on the Gospels, and then we'll zoom in a little further and go with the resurrection narratives here when we get into the new year. Hopefully, we'll also have a lot of other good things coming along, uh, more than just these episodes, but we're not quite ready to uh, talk about those things yet. But uh, make sure that you are tuned in to uh, what we're doing here with the podcast and uh, more things to come. Uh, And as always... If you hate the episodes, love the episodes, have suggestions for other episodes, you can reach us by email at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of Spencer and I on Facebook or Spencer on Twitter, of course, still. Though they're changing, Always they're changing on Twitter. their rules, though. CEO stepped down. Maybe not on Twitter forever. Who knows? But go follow him we'll there see. if you're still there because he's still there. Because that's how he got famous that one time. Yes. <laughs> so Twitter will always have a special place. If the Chiefs win place. another Super Bowl, uh, maybe I can get famous again. I don't think it's happening this year, but you know, it's not happening for my team either. So, All right. Uh, we're going to focus in on the Gospels today, just the first uh, first part of this idea. It's one uh, We have one thing of show notes, but then looking at it, we're like, yeah, this is going to be a two-parter. And lo and behold, Spencer says, hey, this is probably going to be a two-parter <laughs> when we're talking together. Or three or four, you know, yeah. I could. For the record, my interests in uh, research, writing, thesis, dissertation, PhD, that kind of stuff is in gospel stuff, particularly the synoptic gospels, that is uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I could talk about the Gospels for the rest of my life and never get tired of it. I'm going to do my best not to do that. But that's how one part becomes two parts and two parts becomes three parts. And yeah, before you know it, we've died and never finished talking about the Gospels. So I'm going to try my best not to get too carried away. Well, uh, then let's have a very simple to answer uh, question as we begin here. Uh place that you can't get too carried away with uh what is a gospel <laughs> can't get too there's no. entire books written on uh there there are multiple topic, but gospels and thousands of books on each of those gospels yeah so we're gonna try it in one episode to consolidate all of that information yeah, you have 30 minutes this should <laughs> Tell be me fun. what a gospel is spencer so The question, what is a gospel, is in essence the question of what genre are the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we find in our New Testaments. It's the question of a a hypothetical, not that this was an actual thing, but let's say you were alive in the first century and you walked into a library and you wanted one of the gospels. You wanted the gospel of Mark, let's say. Uh, The question of what is a gospel is, well, where would you find that in a library? What section would it be in, right? You you go into a library, you go into a bookstore today, uh, you have uh, fiction, you have nonfiction, and then within those sections, you have all kinds of different genres, right? You want mystery, you want uh, true crime, uh, you want uh, romance novels, you know, whatever it is, you've got all these different kinds of genres, to choose from. And so to ask what is a gospel is to ask that question of what genre is it? Where where would you go in a first century library, if that was a thing, to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Where where would the librarian put them up on the shelves? And and that's important because we're asking not where where would we put them today, but where would someone of the first century, where these were written, who they were written to, who they were written by, how would someone in the first century understand what these books are? And that's important because identifying the genre of a work is absolutely vital to a healthy interpretation of whatever work that is. For example, uh, you're going to read an advertisement differently than you're going to read a legal document which you're going to read differently than you read a novel that you go to Barnes and Noble and pick up, right? Yeah. You're going to read 
these different kinds of works differently based on what genre you've identified them as is going to determine how you're going to read and interpret them. But not only that on the side of the reader, that's also true on the side of the writer. Authors write differently based on what genre they are trying to write. So I think of myself, I do a lot of writing. That's the reading and writing are the bulk of the work that I do. Uh, I write a manuscript for every sermon that I preach. And so my sermon manuscript is written differently than if I'm writing a paper at school, which is written differently than if I'm writing an article, which is written differently than if I'm writing an email or a text message, right? Uh, you, you think about if you're sending a text message, you're going to use emojis. You're going to use shorthand. You're going to not probably not use punctuation. It's going to be very informal versus if I'm writing a paper at school, it's very formal. I mean, I you know, we actually have style guides, entire books telling you how to form and format papers. Very, very different ways of writing. And so to accurately interpret what the Gospels are saying, we need to identify what they are. What genre are they? That's going to impact how we read it, but it's also going to impact how we think about what was the author trying to do? What, What was Mark or Matthew or Luke trying to do when they wrote their Gospels? What did they understand themselves as trying to write? And so in that vein, the first thing that I want to say is that a gospel is not a modern biography of the life of Jesus. That tends to be how we think about the gospels. Well, they are a biography of Jesus' life, just like any other biography that you might find. If you walked into Barnes & Noble and you grabbed a biography of Abraham Lincoln, that's the same kind of work as what we have as the Gospels in the New Testament. They're just the Gospels are just a biography about the life of Jesus. But that's not the case. And let me give you a couple of examples about why it's wrong for us to think about the Gospels as modern biographies. So think about what you expect from a modern biography. Again, take the illustration I just said. You go into Barnes & Noble, you purchase a biography of the life of Abraham Lincoln. What do you expect that biography to do? Well, first, you probably expect that modern biography to focus on Abraham Lincoln's entire life. right? When, when we read a biography, we want to know about the person's childhood, uh, about their teenage years, their young adult years, their later years. We we want the entire life of Jesus. I mean, the, the entire life of the, the individual. But you'll notice that's not what we get in the Gospels. We have very little about Jesus' early yep. life. Yep. We know about the virgin birth. We get the story of Jesus in the temple as a child And then it skips forward to Jesus in his 30s, and 99% of the Gospels are Jesus' years from about 30 to 33, depending on how you date things. So you've got a three-year period of a mid-30-year-old man, and that's all we get about him. Very different than what we expect from a modern biography. Additionally, modern biographies seek to be unbiased. They claim to objectively tell the facts. Now, I would argue that no biography succeeds in doing this because we're all going to be biased. A biographer has to choose what stories they're going to include, what stories they're not going to include, how they're going to tell those stories. So it's going to be biased, but we expect the author to try to be as objective as possible. We we expect the author of a modern biography to try as much as they can not to have any kind of agenda in the way that they tell the story. Again, that's not true about the Gospels. 
the Gospels are 100% biased and we're actually told that. John 20 and verse 31, John tells us that he is writing his gospel so that the reader will believe or, depending on how you translate it, continue to believe, depending on who John thinks his actual audience is. So the gospel authors are trying to get people to believe, to continue to believe, to continue to follow Jesus. They're not trying to just, well, here's the facts about Jesus. Do with it what you will. That's not why they're writing. They're writing to convince the reader to follow or to continue to follow Jesus. So they're biased, right? They they not only believe Jesus' claims, they're not laying it out and saying, well, believe that Jesus is the Son of God or not. I don't really care. It's not what they're doing. The authors believe, and they're trying to convince other people to believe. Modern biographies are also chronological. Again, take Abraham Lincoln. We want his childhood years and then his young adult years and then his later years in the order that they actually happened. The Gospels don't do this. Uh, They don't necessarily tell events in their historical or chronological order. The Gospels have a chronological framework. You start with Jesus' birth, you end with Jesus' death and resurrection but in between those everything in between is not necessarily in chronological order so you have this overarching framework that's chronological but the individual events that happen within that framework are not you've probably noticed that if you've compared the gospels to one another yeah. right you you see stories in different order well did this happen first or did that happen first well We don't know because they're not trying to be in chronological order and say, well, this event happened and then this event happened. To me, a great example of that is if you read the Gospel of Mark, because most of his stories don't have much excess detail. It's just he tells one story and then he tells another story. And a lot of the times we don't know where is this happening Who's there? What time of day? I mean, there's not much detail. And so it's impossible to know not not only, well, did these happen in this order, but are we still in the same day? Is it the same week? Is it the same year? Because Mark just goes and quickly strings stories together without much detail, which is a little bit different than what you see in the other Gospels. Uh, But they're, they're not trying to be chronological isn't uh isn't some of that kind of symptom of culture as well the uh culturally speaking um in that part of the world we were also dealing with people that were less uh i've heard it said event more event-based and less time-based not just in their writing but also just kind of how they approach life as opposed to us that are very worship begins here and ends here and like time-wise well and I think part of that, when you start to think about stories being told, uh, we'll we'll go into more detail as we move through this episode and the next one, but in in a culture that's oral, so stories passed by word of mouth not being written down. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's part of it, too. You... You you there's no the highlight. There's no need to remember where this took place or what time of day because that's not important to the story. Sure. Uh, outside of like Jesus' death and resurrection, three days. Right. I, I mean, unless. But generally, it's like it doesn't matter if. Let, let's take in Matthew, you have Jesus' sermon on the mount, and Luke, you have Jesus' sermon on the plain, which are the exact same sermon. Mountain, plain, same thing, different. What's it doesn't really matter. Uh, that that has no bearing on what Jesus actually teaches. Right. Uh, how we understand where exactly Jesus did the teaching. So it's as you're passing things on and things you're being written down, that becomes less important. When you start to think, we'll talk about this in a minute, but when the authors are trying to convince you to follow Jesus, again, those details aren't important. Right. Mark, for example, is trying to 
encourage his audience who is suffering to continue to follow Jesus in Jesus' way of suffering. So it doesn't matter whether Jesus taught about suffering in the morning or in the evening. Sure. That has no bearing on his audience. And uh, so, like you said, it's they're less concerned about time like we are because they didn't have watches and timers and reminders and all that kind of thing, right? So uh, they were a little more fluid when with time. And you add to that what the Gospels are trying to do, and it makes sense why they wouldn't care about when, where, how long the majority of events took place. They're doing something different than the way we do things today and the way we write things today, a very different time period. It's, it's more about the why than it is the the what of that. And they're just mm-hmm. trying to get to the point. Okay, cool. Right on. Sorry for derailing. No, no. Uh, it's th- That's just so important of thinking about the differences, right, between the first century and today. And, and, and that's a big difference. I've got two more things real quick about differences between our expectations about a modern biography and what the Gospels are trying to do. Um, modern biographies also normally, not always, but normally try and understand the motivations and inner thoughts of the individual that they're writing about. So let's take Abraham Lincoln again. Uh, You may or may not know that Abraham Lincoln suffered greatly with depression. Most biographies that you get about Abraham Lincoln will delve into how his depression, so how the things that were going on internally impacted who he became and why he did what he did. Um, Biographies of uh, you know, World War II, Holocaust, uh, Hitler do that too, because there's a lot of internal things yeah. going on within Hitler, his ideologies, uh, things like that, that led him to do a lot of the things that he did. Um, you don't see that a lot in the Gospels. About the extent that you get is, you know, someone comes up to Jesus and Jesus has pity on them. So he heals them, for example. Uh, But generally, that's the extent of the inner motivations of Jesus outside of, you know, we see some emotions of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that Jesus is striving to fulfill God's purpose as the Messiah, but we don't get a lot in the gospel authors trying to figure out what Jesus' inner thoughts and motivations are. There's not a lot of that. At least not as much as you would want from, again, a biography that you picked off the shelf at Barnes & Noble today. Um, And then modern biographies also tend to care about the connection between events, how event A causes or leads to event B that causes or leads to event C. So, again, let's think of World War II. You got a book on World War II. That's going to be a big thing. How did this event lead to this event that led to this other one. In other words, how did the war get started and how did it get to its conclusion and what are the events that led us along that process? Again, you don't see that really in the Gospels. Gospel of Mark is another great example. You just move from event to event to event. You don't know how. Well, how did Jesus get here? He was here. Now he's here. How did he get there? How are these events connected? Right? They're normally connected by themes, not cause and effect talk about that more in a minute the one exception is jesus death all the gospels kind of show how what jesus did conflicted with the power structures of his time particularly the jews that were in power that led them to desire to kill him but that's the only connection of events you really get it's more connection of themes uh, and teachings of jesus not cause and effect of, well, Jesus did this and it caused this outside of his death. You don't see that really happening in the Gospels, which again is different than what we expect from modern biography. Uh, And so because of that, and we could go on and on and on with examples, but because of that, 
we don't need to read the Gospels as a modern biography. We don't need to read them like we read that biography of Abraham Lincoln or that biography of World War II. We need to read them as they were intended to be read, as the genre of work that the original authors were trying to write, going to the way that we started. The kind of work it is impacts how we as the reader interpret it. It also impacts the way that the author is striving to write it. And so rather than reading the Gospels as a modern biography, we need to read them as ancient bios, which is a fancy scholarly term for ancient biography. In other words, the Gospels are biography, but they're not modern 21st century biography. They are ancient 1st century biography, which is doing something very different than what a modern biography does. And so that's why they're called bios or ancient biography. I'll pause there for uh, anything that you have to add to that. Uh, No, the only thing thing that I would have had to... uh, Well, I I guess I I was thinking about this, and you already used an illustration for it, but when we... um, when we, we think about Gospels, this came to mind talking about general structure, but then the things in between. Um, that's what jazz music is, is that the, you have your beginnings and your ends, and you have your, this is where we all come together and do this. But then you have, okay, trumpet solo right here. And nobody knows how long that trumpet solo is going to be, what it's going to sound like, anything. Sometimes even the trumpet player has no idea what he's going to do. It's just all very feel in that sort of way. Uh, and so that that's that's what I thought of when you talked about Gospels having general mm. structures, but there is some room for, uh, I, I don't think improvisation is the right word. It's the right word for jazz, but I don't know that that's the right word here. Uh, but that there is room for explaining the whys or expressing the whys in the way that they're going to for their audience's sake. Um the other thought of this was uh, gospel uh, is gospels. Uh, I assume you know this. It's euangelion, correct? That's the the Greek term. Yeah. Okay, which just straight up good news. When we talk about evangelism, it comes from that word. It's telling the good news and all of that. So it's it's less about the man Jesus and what he did, and more about the the overall. Here is the good news that we see in him and in what he did and in just the whys of all the stuff that's happening, but it's more on that than it is Jesus, his everyday life, and how he carried all this stuff. Uh, The overall point is to express that good news. That's an excellent point because the... We've called the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark... They didn't originally have titles, um, and so there was no name connected to them. That, that's another interesting thing. We, we don't know for sure who wrote them. Uh, there's church tradition that tells us who, but you know, Paul begins his letters with "I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus," you know, set apart for the gospel of you know yeah. things like that. Is how so Paul attaches his name to his letters. The Gospels didn't have any name attached to them. It doesn't begin with, I, Mark, am writing this to you. Uh, d- doesn't begin like that. Th- they didn't have a title. It didn't. The, they didn't call themselves a Gospel. Now, Mark's Gospel begins with, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Son of God might have been added later as well. Uh, but uh, as you said, Mark's just beginning by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And that word gospel was generally used of Roman emperors, particularly after a battle. So Mark's kind of beginning with, here's the story of the victory of Jesus as the true king of the kingdom of God over the powers of sin and death. That's what the word gospel would have meant Most originally, we've created these titles, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, and created a genre 
of literature called gospel that didn't exist in the first century. Gospel wasn't a kind of literature. It wasn't a kind of book in the first century. Mm. It was good news, typically about a king defeating the enemy. And we've created a genre out of it, and so we're missing not only the meaning of gospel. I guess now at some point we'll have to do a podcast on the meaning of the actual word gospel. Probably two. But, or three or four. <laughs> but we, because of that, like you said, we miss the meaning of the word gospel. We also miss the kind of work the gospels of the New Testament are. Because we've kind of conflated these two things together. And it's like, well, gospel means this. And what we call the gospels are actually ancient biography. Because gospel wasn't a kind of work. And so we have tried to simplify things by calling them the Gospels. And in reality, we've missed both the meaning of the word gospel and the meaning of the Gospels. We've kind of butchered everything, I think. I mean, I might be wrong. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about what they are. Yeah, um, Bios? Is that the right? I would have said uh, bios because that's what it looks like to me. (laughs) That's I'm not a. I'm not a scholar. <laughs> so describe to me what a bi- bioways are. Bioways. So another way to think of ancient bioways or ancient biographies, which can also be called lives. I, I don't know if if anyone listening is uh, uh, any kind of history buff interested in, in history. You may have heard, for example, of like, Plutarch's Lives, where he writes ancient biography of Greek and Roman kings and emperors, Mm. right? So Plutarch writes lives of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and Augustus and so on and so forth. Uh, That's the kind of literature that the Gospels of the New Testament are. They aren't creating a new kind of genre they're writing within this ancient bioid, the these ancient lives. They're writing within a genre that already exists. Uh, Plutarch, like I said, is an example of lives that a lot of people at least have heard of. Yeah, I don't know anybody that's actually read them. No, I. But most I people heard, know that they exist. I heard it. I've heard it before. Never read those. <laughs> so, it's the Gospels are that kind of literature. Again, if when you know i sit down and write an article or a research paper about jesus i'm not creating a new genre right articles uh, research papers are kinds of works that already exist i'm just using them to write about jesus that's what the authors of the gospels are trying to do so in describing what ancient bios are i'm working almost exclusively with a New Testament scholar by the name of David De Silva's just kind of introduction. Uh, this is most of this comes from his introduct his uh, textbook of an introduction of the New Testament, where he kind of gives an introduction to what an ancient biography is. We could go into a lot more depth. There have been a lot more uh, exhaustive works done, but I don't think that's necessary for our purposes here. So I'll kind of use his in, uh, introduction. So the way that De Silva describes what an ancient biography is, is he says that many of these lives or many of these ancient biographies construct a basic chronological framework for the life of the subject of the narrative. But they set within that framework illuminating anecdotes and stories that show more of the character of the subject and often the philosophy of life or teaching of the subject without claims to strict chronological order, especially in the case of philosophers as opposed to figures in public life. Often, a more topical arrangement characterizes the ordering of the material. For example, stories linked by a common setting or theme are narrated in a group even if they were separated by years. 
the author often gives detailed attention to how the subject approached and faced death since this was the ultimate proof of his or her character and way of life. In other words, Jesus in the first century would have been understood as a philosopher, which is in essence just a teacher of a set of values, a teacher of a way of life. That's what Jesus did. I think we can all probably understand that that's what Jesus was doing. He was teaching a set of values. He taught a way to live. So he would have been viewed in the first century as a philosopher. So as De Silva said, authors of works like the Gospels, they've got this basic framework. You begin with birth, you end with death. But within it, what they're trying to do is not tell a chronological framework, a, a chronological story of the person's life, but they're trying to tell about what they taught about their the way that they lived, their philosophy of life, and they group these stories together or these teachings together, typically by theme rather than by chrono- chronology. So they'll group together teachings. If you go and try to outline any gospel, you'll see this, right? Matthew has teaching sections of yep, Jesus yep. that are normally grouped together by setting Sermon on the Mount, may or may not have been one long sermon, but may have been just grouped by theme and setting. Uh, you see teachings in the Gospel of Mark uh, that you've got a section you've got sections about discipleship, for example. That's what the authors are trying to do. So they're they're not trying to be chronological. They're trying to tell, they're trying to show what Jesus taught the way that Jesus lived. And so they're pulling together stories and teachings and grouping them by setting and by theme for several purposes. So I've got a few reasons here for why someone would write a biography in the ancient world. So why Plutarch would write the lives of these Greek and Roman kings and emperors why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would write about an ancient biography about the life of Jesus. What are they trying to do? So one reason could be to provide a paradigm to promote a way of life or a set of values. That's especially true with a philosopher. So you might have someone that writes a biography about some ancient philosopher to promote that philosopher's way of life to promote that philosopher's set of values. That's what the gospel authors were trying to do, right? They're telling us the story of Jesus to get us to live the way that Jesus lived, to try to get the reader to accept the values that Jesus taught. You might also write one to critique an alternative groups or cultures set of values Again, that's what the Gospels are trying to do. They're critiquing the values of the world, the values of, you know, for example, the scribes and Pharisees. They're critiquing the values of the kingdom of sin and death in contrast to the way of life and the values that we see in Jesus and encouraging the reader, don't live like the scribes and Pharisees, Don't live like the pagans of the world. Don't live like the kingdom of sin and death wants you to live. Live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Live the life that you see lived and taught in Jesus. But you got that with other philosophers, right? You might have philosopher A, you write a biography about them to promote their way of life and to critique the way of life of philosopher B. You had people that wrote like that in the first century. That's what the Gospels are trying to do. Uh, You might also write one to provide a pattern for imitation for all who aspire to the virtues or ideals represented by that person. So that's kind of just bringing these together. We see a certain way of life in Jesus, and so the Gospel authors are trying to get us to live that same way of life. Um, You might write one to dispel false images of who that person was 
or what he or she stood for, perhaps to counter views promoted by rivals or hostile critics. We see this most explicitly, I think, in the passion narrative, so that is the the death and resurrection of Jesus, in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew adds a few interesting points that the other gospels don't. Uh, Matthew talks about guards being put to guard the tomb of Jesus. Matthew talks about uh, the uh, Jewish leaders creating this story that the Jesus disciples stole the body. Matthew tells us these things to counteract them and say, yeah, Jesus was actually raised. You know how we know that? Because there were guards here and yet the body went missing. Disciples couldn't have stole it. Yeah, there was this story that was created to try to explain how the tomb became empty. And so what Matthew is doing there is he's taking these false stories that the body was stolen and he's counteracting them by saying, here's what actually took place. And here's how we can know that the body wasn't stolen, but that Jesus was actually raised. And so that's not the only reason Matthew's writing, but we see that reason within the other reasons uh, of trying to promote Jesus' way of life. Uh, People would write him to preserve information about and sayings of the person. Again, I think that's one, not the primary reason, but one of the reasons the Gospels were written. It promotes, uh, it preserves the life and the teachings of uh, Jesus. Sometimes these were written to entertain the readers, and at other times a ancient biography would be written uh, to arouse uh, admiration for whatever figure that's being written about. And so, take all that together, what does that mean? It means that the ancient reader of the Gospels would have come to them expecting them to articulate and defend the significance of Jesus and to legitimate the value system embodied by the figure of Jesus. The reader would have expected to go away from reading the gospel renewed in his or her commitment that Jesus is actually worthy of being heard and that Jesus is an authoritative teacher and revealer of the way of life that God desires us to live and so that Jesus' life is worthy to be emulated. That's what the reader would have expected to walk away having received. And so he or she would not have expected a strict chronological order, but rather would have looked for the contents of the gospel to be arranged in the best way to bring about the character, message, and significance of Jesus within the general chronological framework of first his birth and then his career and then finally his death and resurrection. And so strictly speaking... The purpose of the Gospels is not to be historical. Rather, they seek to present the person of Jesus to those who have committed themselves already to following him, or at least provisionally interested. Uh, De Silva says this might have been uh, the case of Luke's broader audience, but it's to seek to present Jesus to those who have committed or at least provisionally committed themselves to following Jesus, to renew commitments to Jesus' authority, to determine how believers will live their lives, and to promote Jesus' example as the pattern for imitation. In short, he says, they seek to make a contribution to how communities of believers would live out their Christian commitment. And so when we understand what an ancient biography was trying to do, In contrast to a modern biography, an ancient biography is trying not to be historical as we think about historical, so not give a chronological history of it was this event, then this event, then this event, but rather it's trying to present the life and the teaching of an individual in a way that convinces the reader to accept that way of life, to imitate that individual 
and to apply their teachings and virtues to their own life. And so an ancient biography would organize its material not based on chronology, but based on themes, based on setting, in a way that best convinces the reader to follow in that way of life. And so that's what the Gospels are trying to do. They're not trying to, at least in the way we think of it, be historical, even though they're recounting history. They're not trying to be chronological, but rather they're trying to tell about the life and the teaching of Jesus in a way that convinces the reader to devote their life to Jesus, to follow Jesus' way of life, to apply Jesus' teaching to their own life. And so that's what the Gospels are trying to do. Again, very different than modern biography because they're writing within this genre of ancient biography that's trying to do something a little different. The main difference, not very focused on chronology, not trying to be, again, in our terms, historical, but trying to tell a story in the best way to get their audience to believe and to follow. The biggest difference, this is the last thing I have in my notes, is that the biggest difference between an ancient biography and the Gospels, though, is that we do believe that the Gospels are inspired. That connects back to our last two episodes, that the Holy Spirit had played a role in the Gospels being written, that God is active and working through these authors for that purpose of convincing the reader to emulate Jesus' life and to apply Jesus' teaching to their own life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the only thing that I would finish uh, with this is uh, just with what you said there, we believe inspiration plays a part in this. So anything that you, uh, anything that you hear us say, do not forget about the previous episodes dealing with inspiration. All of that is the foundation of what makes these episodes uh, what they are. So uh, you, so go ahead. Well, I, I was going to add real quickly to that. If you remember, one of the things we talked about in the last episode was what makes something true. Yeah, yeah. And that there's different ways for something to be true. And really, that depends on what the author's trying to do. Is the author trying to be give historical truth? Is the author trying to give truth in story? Uh, is, is the author trying to present truth through story? And the reason I mention that is because that shows why it's so important to try and figure out what's the author's intention, what's the author trying to do, which is why it's important to identify what kind of book the Gospels are, because that leads us on a path to begin to try as best as we can to understand what are the authors of the Gospels trying to do. And they're not trying to write a modern biography They're not trying to be chronological. They're not technically trying to be historical. They're writing an ancient biography trying to convince the reader to follow Jesus. And so that must be the framework that we then begin to interpret the Gospels. So if we're looking at a story in Matthew, for example, we have to interpret it in light of this framework of the kind of book Matthew is writing, and that helps us figure out, okay, what is what kind of story is Matthew telling? What's Matthew trying to do? What kind of truth is Matthew trying to tell us? But we can only get there within the framework of inspiration and then within the framework of what kind of of genre Matthew is trying to write. And then we can pick up any story and begin to try to figure out, okay, what's Matthew trying to do here? What's Matthew trying to tell us? And we'll see that when we get eventually to the resurrection accounts and begin to compare them. That's the question we're going to have to ask. What's Matthew trying to do? What's Mark trying to do? What's Luke trying to do? What's John trying to do? Within these other frameworks, which 
then begins to make some of what seems to be contradictions in those accounts begin to make sense. But I think they only make sense between these bigger frameworks. First, inspiration and truth, and then within what the Gospels are trying to do. Because again, if the Gospels technically, at least in the way that we conceptualize it, are not trying to be historical or chronological, and then we bring in the way oral tradition and sources work in the creation of the Gospels, then we read, for example, the resurrection accounts and we realize, okay, the authors may be trying to do something different than I thought that they were trying to do, which helps understand why they tell the stories differently. Why, for example, uh, in Matthew and Mark, there's one angel and in Luke, there's two. And we'll get all into all of that here. Well, into the in the next year, <laughs> well, it'll it'll be after uh, it'll be after twenty twenty one. We'll be into twenty two. Uh, whenever we get into those things, we'll we'll have the second half of this episode uh, here. Actually, at the beginning of the year as well, taking a little break for uh, Christmas and New Year's. So we want to say to everybody listening, I hope you enjoy. Uh, your holidays. When we come back, we'll talk about the composition and interpretation of the Gospels, and then we'll zoom in, as Spencer said, on the uh, resurrection narratives within uh, the Gospels. All four or just the synoptics? Do we know yet? (laughs) Uh, I mean, we'll probably do all four, but John is doing his own thing so much that I feel like worrying about how John fits with Matthew, Mark, and we'll Luke. We'll give him a nod, but... It, I mean, you have to bring it in, but sure. realize that John shouldn't ever cause a problem in comparison nope. to the other three, because he's... Wildly different. And when we get in to talking next episode about how the Gospels were compiled, that makes even more sense, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke... We're using the same source material and changing it to fit their mold. John was probably not, depending on who you ask. Well, uh, you they may not have asked us, but we're going to talk about it next time anyway. So uh, let us know what you thought about this episode, what you maybe anticipate going forward as well. And of course, comments, criticisms, suggestions for other episodes. Uh, you can reach us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Both of us on Facebook, Spencer on Twitter, of course, always. Let's uh, let's get those numbers up over the holidays for him on Twitter. And then, Please. Uh, then we'll see you in the next year. Have a great Christmas, great New Year's, and uh, we'll see you next time.